Okay, Uh, let's pray. Lord, as we look to your word here this morning, I just ask that each one of us would hear your voice speaking individually to us, your, your beloved sons and daughters, that we would hear the message that you have for each one of us this morning. Amen. Okay. Now, I've made some observations, and I have come to the conclusion that life is messy. And that there are varying degrees of the mess. So, of the messiness. So, for example, um, I communicate via emails, and um, when I log on to my email account, there's um, a little message that flashes up on the left-hand side of the screen telling me that I have 21,615 unread emails. 21,615. I don't really know where you begin with that. I'm thinking I could just press delete all, but I have a suspicion that they would just build up again. And I would like to think that one day I'd have a nice, neat, tidy, empty in-tray. But in all honesty, it's just not going to happen. Life's just a bit more messy than that. And also, this year, we've been decorating. Uh, Jamie's been decorating, bless him. It's been his project to decorate Luke's bedroom. So Luke is our eldest son that was um, reading here earlier. He had braces fitted this week, so I'm really quite chuffed. He did very well there. Um, He's 13 and three quarters. Those three quarters are very important when you're in your teens. And um, Jamie and I haven't decorated his room since six years before he was born. So we decorated the room, hoping that one day we would be blessed with children. I'm not sure, not sure whether they would be of the pink or the blue variety. So we played it safe. We went with a nice yellow, nice lemon colour scheme. And we had teddy bears. So Luke came along, and for the first one to six years maybe, teddy bears were great. But certainly at 13 and three quarters, teddy bears, not quite so cool. So we said to Luke... Luke, would you like to um, sort of design your own room, choose your own colour scheme, pick out your furniture? And uh, he did that, and he chose a set of drawers and two wardrobes, which have four doors. And we ordered this from a shop, which usually is a really good shop. I'm not going to mention the shop. It's usually a really good shop. But unfortunately, it all went a bit pear-shaped this time. So um, when it was delivered, there was a drawer that was the wrong size, Um, And of the four doors, one had a massive mark on it. Uh, There was a a glass mirror door that was smashed. And there was another door that should have been a mirror door, but it wasn't. So I thought, that's fine, we'll just send it all back and they can replace it. But it wasn't really that straightforward. First of all, there's one department that delivers and one department that collects. Getting those two to work together is not easy. Um, And when they replaced the, the drawer that was too small... Um, it was replaced with a drawer that was the wrong colour. And then it was replaced by a whole new set of drawers, and we didn't need a whole new set of drawers. Um, When they replaced the mirror door that should have been, but wasn't, they replaced it with a mirror door that was too big. And, you know, when they did all this kind of delivering and collecting, there was a a a 12-hour window. So it was from any time, 7.30 in the morning to 7.30 at night. And twice they missed that window... And once they missed it by two hours and arrived at half past nine. So it's just been like really messy. It's just been really messy. Just that kind of 
fly in the ointment irritating thing in life, you know? But then there's the, the darker, messy things. The sort of thing that calls me to put a little note in there. I put this note on my fridge door about well, several years ago. And it says this. When you find yourself the victim of other people's bitterness, ignorance, smallness or insecurities, remember, things could be worse. You could be them. You know? And I've had to pray for, for these people, you know. And it's true, isn't it? Especially if we're the sort of person who are, li- who are living out our faith, who are we're living the life on our front lines, if we are pushing back the darkness, we are going to come up against opposition. And that opposition can manifest itself in all kinds of cruelty, in malicious gossip, in false accusations and lies, all those things of the enemy. Those things we could just do without, really. The mess we could do without. And then there's the real heartbreaking stuff that life throws at us. The redundancy, the unwanted diagnosis, the broken relationship, the loss of a loved one. Those things in life that, you know, if we were writing our own scripts, if we were writing our own stories, we probably wouldn't have included that chapter or that storyline or maybe even that character. So how do we marry this up? The fact that, you know, we have messy lives in a messy world. And yet we have an all-loving, all-powerful God who is Lord and Master. I think it helps if we first acknowledge that there are two main sources to the mess. And the first is the fall. The impact of the fall. So when God first created the world, it was good. It was beautiful. There was no mess. And then God put man and woman into the world and he blessed them with that loving gift of free will. And they abused it. They said, not your will, but mine. They rebelled against the lordship of God and the world became broken and the world became messy, not as God had intended it to be. So there's the first source, the the fall, the impact of the fall, that first rebellion against God's lordship. And then there's the other source, and there are loads, loads of examples of this that illustrate this throughout the Bible. So if you think about um, the Israelite people being freed from slavery in Egypt and being led through the wilderness by Moses into the promised land of Canaan. Now that's a journey that should have taken 11 days a month max. And how long did it take? 40 years. years. And of the 2 million or so people that left um, slavery in Egypt, only two, Caleb and Joshua, made it into the promised land. That original bunch, just the two, made it. What a mess. How on earth did that happen? Well, it's because, again, these people, the Israelites, they were rebelling against the lordship of God. Rather than being thankful rather than being grateful to God and looking to him as Lord, they moaned and they complained. They said, we want to be back in slavery in Egypt. And they were idolatrous. They built things that they could worship rather than worship the Lord who is God. Or God who is Lord, Adonai. They rebelled against the Lordship of God. He had his work cut out for him there. 
and it took 40 years. 11 days became 40 years. And then there's um, King David, a man after God's own heart, who got into an awful mess when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then went on to have her good husband murdered in a way trying to cover up what he'd done. And how did that happen? Where did that begin? If we look in the, in the story of David and Bathsheba, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, the clue is in the very first verse. It says, in the spring, at a time when kings go out to war, David sent Joab to lead the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And David remained in Jerusalem. In the spring, when the kings go out to war, that's where David should have been. If, God, if David was going to honour God, if he was going to be true and to, to listen to his lordship in his life, if he was going to have God as lord over his life, he would have been out there leading his men in battle. That's where he should have been. But no, he's decided, not your way but mine, and he stayed at home. And then he saw Bathsheba and got into this awful mess, all because he rebelled against the lordship of God. And we just heard the story of Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said no and ran in the opposite direction and ended up in the storm and he ended up in the, the belly of a fish. Can you imagine a more messy place to be than the belly of a fish? When uh, my family and I were on holiday in the summer, we attended a church celebration community church uh, one Sunday morning for worship. And there was a preacher there, and he, he asked the question, he just mentioned Jonah, and he asked the question, why did God choose for Jonah to end up inside the belly of a fish? You know, why couldn't he have sent him uh, dolphins or something to take him to Nineveh? Or maybe there could have been a raft there that would, by divine intervention, have drifted across to Nineveh. Why the belly of a fish? And he had come to the conclusion that it's because Jonah was a runner, and there is no place to run inside the belly of a fish. Okay, so, so Jonah there, getting into a really messy place because he had just ignored, rebelled against the lordship of God. And there are loads of other examples. I'll just give you one more uh, from the New Testament. And this story appears in Matthew, Mark and Luke, as recorded in those three Gospels, of the rich young ruler. So the rich young ruler goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have, I have obeyed all the rules. I've been an obedient person. I've been faithful to the, the law. Can you tell me how do I receive eternal life? And Jesus told him to go and sell all his possessions and give the money to the poor. Now Jesus didn't do that because he's against riches. Everything belongs to him and it can be used for good. Jesus did that because he knew that for this young man, his money was his Lord. And Jesus needs to become first. Jesus needs to be Lord and Master if we want to be led out into eternity. And he couldn't do it. This rich young ruler couldn't do it. And he left and he returned to his messy life where he was worrying about where he was going to spend eternity. All because he couldn't fall under the authority of Jesus as Lord and Master, Adonai. So all of these people rebelling against the Lordship of God, not doing what they should have done, not being where they should have been, and mess resulting. 
So those are our two main sources, that initial rebellion at the fall, that first rebellion against the Lordship of God, and then the ongoing rebellion down through the ages, and even today in our own lives. But there is good news, because God is not looking at us in our messy state and thinking, what are you doing? Look at you. I just can't have anything to do with you. I am moving on to plan B. God doesn't do that any more than a parent, a loving parent would do to their little baby who's kind of sat in a high chair learning to feed themselves with a little spoon. You know, when, we, when they're first learning to, to feed themselves, we tend to give them either a bowl of green mush or a bowl of orange mush. You notice that? Everything kind of is either orange or green. And you kind of turn your back for two minutes, and if you look around again, you'll see that, you know, the little one hasn't really got much in their mouths, but plenty on their faces and in their hair and down their clothes and on the floor. But as a loving parent, we don't turn to that child and go, what a mess, look at the state of you, I'm moving on to the next project. We don't do that, won't we? Okay, we go over with the wet wipes. And we get to work, we wipe them up, and we help them with their feeding, we assist them, because we love them, and we care for them, and we want to help them, and we want them to, to learn to, to feed themselves, and to grow to be kind of healthy babies, children, into adulthood. That's what we do as a loving parent, and that's what God does for us. He sees the mess, and he wants us to turn to him. He loves us, he cares for us, he wants to be there for us. He's not going to abandon us when things get difficult and we feel that we, we can't cope. And it reminds me of that um, Footprints in the Sand poem. You know, God is there. He gathers us up. He lifts us and he, he carries us through the difficult times in our lives. And there's more good news. That we can actually avoid a lot of the mess in the first place if we make God Lord of our lives. So a key point to this morning's talk, which was emailed to me several weeks ago, an email that I opened, um, a key point is that orthodox theology that does not lead to orthopraxy does not save. Okay, orthodox theology that does not lead to orthopraxy does not save. Now I'm sure you all agree with me. That's a thought that we have on a daily basis. <laughs> Let me unpack that just a little bit. Right. So if we look at the the writing of James, Jesus' brother, he speaks to the, some sort of scattered Hebrew Christians and he says to them that you believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. And what he is saying is that the demons have orthodox theology, they know there is only one God. They've got that bit right. They know that to be true. Okay? But they do not accept that God as Lord and Master of their lives. They do not have orthopraxy. And therefore, they are not saved. And they shudder. Okay? Jesus says this in the Gospel of Luke. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? 
And it doesn't, I don't really feel comfortable with that. That doesn't sit well with me. And I know from reading scripture that when I read something that doesn't feel comfortable, it's not that God is at fault. It's that my understanding isn't quite right and I need to pray into it and think about it some more. You seem to have people arriving back already. Okay. <laughs> okay, so God um, wants us um, lost my train of thought, man. It's not that, um, yeah, he, God wants us to, let, God is God of love, he loves us, he wants us to love everybody, okay? And um, Mother Teresa actually said that um, we're like little pencils in the hand of a writing God, sending a love message to the world, okay? And that's what we are, little, little pencils in the hand of a writing God, sending a love letter to the world. God wants us Jesus doesn't want us to hate anybody, but he must come first. He must come first in our life. He must be Lord and Master. Okay? And he's saying that not because he's on some egotistical power trip, but because he knows that that's where we find wholeness. That's where we will um, live the life that is the best, and that's when we have the hope of eternal life, when Jesus is Lord and Master of our lives. And equally, we don't make God and Jesus Lord of a Master of our lives for any legalistic reason, not because we have to, but because we want to, because there's an expression of our love for him, an expression of our thankfulness to him. Okay, so very briefly, what does it look like for God to be Lord and Master over our lives, over our time, over our treasure, over our talents, over our thoughts? Yeah, even our thoughts, Paul says that, and we're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to God. And he's saying that because he knows that a lot of the difficult stuff, a lot of the messiness starts in our minds and then manifests itself in an action or a word or an attitude. Okay. So how do we do this? How do we make Christ Lord of all our lives? Because if he's not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all, as we've heard before. We've heard that said. So in... I was going to think briefly, very briefly, about our time, making God Lord of our time. Time being very special, very precious. Um, in Acts, we read the followers devoting themselves to the teaching and to fellowship. They were dedicated, they were, they were committed to meeting daily and worshipping God. And as a result, they grew in their faith. They saw great things happening and they grew in number. Every day, people were being added or being saved. They were meeting together not because they had to, but because they wanted to. And in honouring God as Lord over their lives, God honoured them with immeasurable fruitfulness. And I just want us to think very briefly, because we haven't got any more time, um, about how we honour God with our time. Okay, is being here on a Sunday morning, is that unmissable? unmissable to be here on a Sunday morning worshipping God because I think it begins here you know if we want to be effective out there on our front lines then we have to start by gathering together here on a Sunday and worshipping him here okay I think I would just stop and pause and so to give time for other people to arrive it's kind of that time really disappeared very quickly but um if we just kind of in the quietness while other people do join us and join us again, can we just think, just close our eyes and think about that question. Is Jesus Adonai? Is he Lord and Master of our lives? Just think of the different areas of our lives. What do we um, struggle to hand over to him? 
and just ask him in the, in the quietness, if we feel able, to be Lord and Master in our lives.